it's like, you know, you kind of go, okay, that's, that's Tuesday morning. It's, we're off to a good start. Monday went well. Tuesday was even better. And, and then all of a sudden it's Friday. Every, every stinking time I come here, this seems to happen. Um, thanks to Mike and, and Dave and the rest of the staff here. I, I would encourage you, you, most of us have about 24 hours, maybe a little less than that before we take off. Um, the folks that tend to be up front, they're easy to find, they're easy to thank. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that, that Kurt mentioned the folks in the tech booth back there. Um, usually they only get noticed if something goes wrong. Um, will, you, will you seek them out? Will you find somebody in housekeeping? Will you find somebody today that, that serves during lunch that maybe you're the only one that's going to say thank you to them? Try to find three people before you take off from here, either tonight or tomorrow, and just say, thank you. Because they're surrounded by all this, but they're just working like crazy. And it's, it's been hard. It's been hard during COVID. So um, you've done a great job. Mike challenged us the first day, don't be whiners. You know, don't point out, did you ever overthink about doing this? It could be better if we did this. You know, if you had fitted sheets, they wouldn't come off the bed when I roll over at night. Just a random example. I don't know anybody who's experienced that. But we've done a great job keeping that to ourselves. But now let's, let's play offense and say thank you. And really, really, really express appreciation. Um, the tool table, the resources will be, um, will be open for about 15 minutes or so afterward. Um, Again, a lot of you have taken advantage of this, and you're going to take some teaching home. Um, this is just good old meat and potatoes Bible teaching, letting the, letting the scriptures speak for themselves, but then connecting it to real-life issues that we have today. Uh, our director, Satchabal, in India one time, he goes, he goes, what is this you say, meat and potatoes? This we do not know. And I said, I explained the concept. He goes, oh, he goes, we already say that. We say you're the curry and rice guy. And I go, okay, I'm the curry and rice guy. I'm glad, glad to know that. I would love to stay in touch with you, and we don't have cards to pass out or anything like that. If, if, you, if you have your phone, um, uh, you can either do this now or you can do this later. Just phil at walkthrough.org. Um, drop me a quick email. Send me your name and, and your email address. We would love to send you some other resources from Walk Through the Bible, and we're not going to hound you, and nobody's going to knock on your door or anything like that. Um, but just fill at walkthrough.org if you want to put an encouraging word to our staff back there. Thank them for letting me come out and play, because um, without experiences like this, I would go insane if all I did was the CEO half of my job. So say nice things. Just fill at walkthrough, and through is T-H-R-U, spelled incorrectly, which is really correct, dot org. ORG. Um, love to stay in touch. You, you can also turn that in to, to Ellen back there at the resource table. So when last we were with Moses, he was at Mount Sinai. And, and look at that. They're good. Now they're, now they're showing off. Okay, I did not give them that. That's pretty amazing. Um, at Mount Sinai, you know, you get the Ten Commandments, you get the rebellion, you get the extra set of commandments, you get everything that we talked about um, yesterday morning, they actually stay there a pretty long time because it's not just the Ten Commandments, it's actually dozens and even hundreds of commandments. So it's, it's, 
it's not just what we read in Exodus. It's Genesis, Exodus. Then we hit Leviticus. And there are laws and guidelines for everything. I mean, thou shalt take the dung out of the cities. I mean, it's good to know. Okay. And, you know, there's, there's all these different things. And, and that's why Leviticus, it's really easy to just want to read Leviticus next to a very powerful square fan and go, oh, how do we get to chapter 19 in 13 seconds? Wow, I don't know. But, but remember the point of that is about God's holiness and God's concern for, for our health and our safety. So, so that's all in there. And then, then you turn the page and you get to numbers. And this is the session, this is one of the sessions we're skipping, but we're going to need this knowledge when we look at what we are going to look at today. They get down on the, on the edge of the promised land. All they have to do is cross over the Jordan River, and they're going to re-enter the promised land. They're at a place called Kadesh Barnea, which is really Kadesh Oasis. And at Kadesh Oasis, they take a census. And the amazing thing in this census is there's 600,000 fighting men. Now, they're not being sexist and chauvinistic. They're trying to measure the strength of the army so that they know, they, they know there's going to be some tough battles to come back into the land and repossess it. 600,000 fighting men. If you've got 600,000 fighting men, you've got at least 600,000 fighting women. Okay? I mean, I mean you've got a bunch of fighting kids. It, 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 it's a million and a half, maybe two million strong. Think about that. When Jacob and his family went down at the end of Genesis to the book of Egypt, there were 70 of them. This is how even in captivity, even in bondage, God has made the people multiply and they've also become strong. This is miraculous. And so they send out 12 spies and they do a reconnaissance mission through the land of Israel and then they go back and they bring their report. And they all agree on some things. It's a great land. It does flow with milk and honey. Check out the size of those grapes. Good night. Look at those things. And You, you know, you've, you've seen pictures with that. And then kind of they start looking down at their sandals, most of them, and they're like, and that's not all that's big there. The people are really big. There's some giants in this land. And big people build big cities with big walls. You know, God loves us, and he's got a great plan, but he's way up there, and sometimes he's not exactly in touch with things down here practically on the earth. And so God obviously must have not known what he was telling us to do because he didn't ever ask us to do that. And it's the kind of doubt that Kurt was just talking about, not the productive kind of doubt, not the catalyst kind of doubt. It's the doubt that leads to cynicism, and fear paralyzes them. Ten of them, that's all they saw. The other two said, everything you just heard is true. But you know what? In spite of the obstacles, our God is bigger. Let's go for it. But as good Americans, or in that case, good Israelites, we know the majority is always right, right? Not that time. Anybody that know the names of those two spies? Joshua and Caleb. Okay, anybody have a grandson or a son or a friend named Caleb or Joshua, raise your hand. Just look around. Bunch of them. All right. When, when we were expecting our first child, uh, we didn't know what the gender was going to be. And again, this was in that little country church, and he had a newsletter that, I mean, there was like no word processing or anything. This was done on a typewriter. It was, it was, it was quite a process. And 
And um, it was called The Good News of Grace, because our church was Grace Bible Church. And, and one week, I was supposed to always write the article on the front page, you know. And, and so I said, hey, help me name our new child. We've got it narrowed down to the top ten. And, um, you know, they, they walked right into it. They missed it. It went right over their head. I said, here's the top ten. I listed names like Guel and Egal and Shaphat and Shemua. Anybody know kids with any of these names? Isn't that interesting? We don't name our kids after the other ten spies. Joshua and Caleb could sound just as weird to our ears, but it shows if you want to have an impact not only in this generation, but for generations to come, the opportunity is still there. Trust God in spite of the obstacles. Well, our church, it just like this went over their head. And I started getting these notes and these dear lady, one, one lady, um, Edna took me aside and she goes, Pastor, she goes, Pastor, I know you want a biblical name for your child, but you've got to think junior high. Pastor, you're not a small man. You're, and whether you have a son or a daughter, to name your child Shamua. Shamua lives at SeaWorld, Pastor. You cannot name, I'm like, why, why do I even waste my time being so clever? It just doesn't work out. Well, the people side with the ten spies. We can't do it. Our God's done some impressive stuff, but he's not big enough for this generation. And God says, for every day that the spies were in the land, you're going to wander in the wilderness for a year. That's pretty harsh punishment. And with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, who were willing to see with the eyes of faith, all the other adults are going to die off during those four decades. I have not done the math myself. I should be. I should do it. But, you know, based on the assumptions of how many and how many of them were adults and all, I think this is a funeral about every 17 minutes for four decades. Wow, what a great time to be alive. It's a tough time. Even, even in their wilderness wanderings, though, God is faithful. And there's this contrast, this juxtaposition between God's faithfulness and our disobedience. Between God keeping his promises and us breaking our vows. And it goes back and forth, and there's, there's numerous incidents of that, but God still stays faithful. Every need they have, he provides. Their, sh their sandals don't wear out in the wilderness. What do they eat? Who knows? Manna. Yeah, what does manna mean? This is a, that was my question. What is it? I'm asking you. Oh, literally, it means what is it? That's right. They didn't know what to call it. And so when they saw this is this little grain stuff on the ground, and, and it, it's like they looked at it and they go, what is it? I've been on some loser church committees through the years. This is the worst church committee ever. I, we've got to name it something. Harold, what should we name it? Well, it reminds me of the, uh, the, the frosted pharaoh flakes back in Egypt that never got soggy in goat's mouth, and I like those. And, you know, it's like somebody goes, well, when I came out of the tent, I just looked down and said, what is it? It's been moved. It's been seconded. Okay, all is in favor. Let's call it what is it. Brilliant. Good long-range planning right there. After a while, manna's not enough. God, Moses, 
can we have some variety in our diet? I mean, banana bread, okay, I like it. Banana split, that's all right. Manicotti and cheese, okay, okay, okay. We miss the cold cuts back in the delis of Egypt. And so God sends, ooh, 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 low-flying quail. You think a drive through is fast? This is a fly-through. This is amazing stuff. He gives them water out of a rock. Every need they have. They get not, not just things to eat. He protects them. He guides them. Fire by night and what by day? Cloud. And you think they didn't love that on the hot Middle East days? Oh, amazing. Every need they have, God supplies. In this session, we're going to look at the topic of completion. Moses at the end of his lifetime. We pick up the story in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1, says this. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. So he's on, if you've been to the Holy Land or you're going with Mount Hermon, this is across the Jordan River on the other side from, from Israel, across from Jericho, across from Jerusalem. It, it's modern-day it's modern Jordan. And, and they're there, and there's some high ground. They climb Mount Nebo, and you can actually see from there into the Promised Land. I'll show you that in a minute. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea. Those are the passages, by the way, you pray. Your pastor doesn't go, um, Cynthia, will you read for us these verses? And you're like, and hard name beget so-and-so beget what's-his-face and all this geography. It's like, that, that's why if you have the opportunity to take a trip like Mount Hermon, all of a sudden the places are real and you read these and you can picture things in, in your eyes. It, man, take, take advantage of that opportunity. But it's dangerous. Yes, it's dangerous. You've got to drive from your house to an airport. It's dangerous. But once you get there, you'll, you'll find things so, so safe where you're going. I, Mike has personally promised that. He's negotiating ceasefires, and everything's going to be good by the time that you get there. The Negev, the whole region, from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. Wow. God's covenant. God's promise. Abraham, Sarah, I'm going to give you a child, eventually grandkids, eventually many descendants, a great nation, but I'm also giving you a land, a land, and that's that land, and it's time that you get to go back into it. He does say to Moses, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over it. Here's what the view looks like from the mountain. Isn't that beautiful? You look down across the Jordan River, you can, from Mount Nebo, you, you can see the, the northernmost part of the Dead Sea. There's a lot of green area where you're standing is like desolate as can be, and then you see the green of parts of the Promised Land. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. I've been there, I think I've been there three times. And, and every single time I get overcome with emotion. The 
Now I expect it. The first time, it blindsided me. Because I'm sitting and I'm going, what if I were Moses? What's it like to look there and know that I don't get to go in there? Why is that? That's not fair. For, for four decades, this guy has trampled through the wilderness with these whiny people. This just isn't right. This just isn't fair. What's the explanation of this? And you got to jump back into numbers to see why that is. And many of you know this story, but refresh yourself. And lots of us have never heard of this. Numbers 20, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they have they and their livestock can drink. This is a big rock or it's gushing a lot of water for a couple million people and their livestock. This is not the first time God's done this. The first time God said to Moses, strike the, the rock with your staff. But what's his instruction this time? Speak. Well, we read in the next verse, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock until Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. So God told him this time, speak to the rock, and what did Moses do? Whacked it. That's a Hebrew word. Whack, whack him. And as I'm on the top of Mount Nebo looking across, I'm like, really, that's it? He did the same thing as he had done before, and this time it's not okay. That's how you reward your servants, God? Maybe Moses wasn't listening carefully. Maybe he just thought, okay, yeah, they, we've done this before. I know the drill. For that, he doesn't get to enter into the promised land? This passage, if you look at the detail, it's a little deeper than that. It's a little deeper than that. I, I, Moses, out of anger, says to the people, must we bring water out of this rock, you rebels? Question is, who's the we? He's standing there with Aaron. Is, is, is that the essence of his mistake? Must we do this humanly? We've been leading so well. Is he taking responsibility or credit or glory? Because God's really jealous about sharing credit with his miracles with humans. Got to be careful of that, Aaron. I raised three perfect kids, you might say. I hope you might not say that. Because number one, it's not true. But number two, you didn't make perfect kids. You didn't even make good kids. It's God who changes lives, and we get to be part of the process. I had a great week at Mount Hermon. I was responsible for five people getting saved. They raised their hands. I saw them. I counted them. I wasn't responsible for any but that. I simply opened up the scriptures and invited, and God set life in motion of other people. Well, maybe, maybe Moses was, let's give him a little more credit. Maybe he's not saying, must Aaron and I do this? Maybe he's saying, must God and I do this? 
that still misses the mark. Because like Paul says, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Not most things. Not some, nothing. And he, he explains it even more in the next verse, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Every time, every, every time that I've been on, on Mount Nebo, I, I think it's three, it might have been four times, and I, I managed to get away from the group that I've come there with because I just need to have some time with God. Because this passage is a warning to us. The Bible says not many of you should become teachers because stricter, uh, teachers will receive a stricter judgment. I used to hide that verse when I had to recruit Sunday school teachers. You never talk about that verse. You got a pulse? You're qualified. Come on. But God says, hey, take it seriously. It's like marriage. It's not to be entered into casually, but with a sense of responsibility because these vows matter. What about parents? Parents have an enormous responsibility. When Ellen and I were going through a time of infertility and eventually were pursuing adoption, and then the adoption agency we were working with, it closed. And it's like, come on, God. We never, we're never going to have kids. But what we had to go through to adopt a child, we ended up having Emily and, and, and Philip um, biologically, not through adoption. But what we had to go through versus what most we would have gone through have you not ever been through that process it's a huge responsibility to parent a son or a daughter and those thoughts always fill my mind when I'm on Mount, Mount Nebo because it's like wow Moses did so many things right but he went off track because I think he took credit this one miracle he was gonna he was at least gonna share the glory with God and God's like no that's not how we told you to do it well that's kind of a downer what's that have to do with us well if you are a leader in your church if you're a parent where, where you work if you supervise anybody else if you're a person of influence in your neighborhood got to lead well we got to finish strong my friend i i don't know if you're as aware of this as i am i wish i were less aware of it but there has been an epidemic in the last few years of leaders collapsing morally some political leaders sexual scandals then the next thing you know it's a it's a mega church pastor orlando florida which is you know, closer to where I live, obviously, and where you live. Just Orlando, four megachurch pastors have fallen because of what they have done. How much damage does that do? Oh, it rocks all of us if, if that's our church and that's our pastor. But especially when it's new believers or those who are still just checking out this Christianity thing. And that breaks our heart, and this passage warns us as leaders We've got to draw the line high. And then it'll be a, a corporate leader 
Did you find out that that guy was hitting on female employees? It's heartbreaking. It's a ministry nonprofit president who turns out was was saying things that are absolutely great and help so many people, but then living a private life that didn't correspond with that at all. And it's a warning. And it's also a warning to all of us. Be careful when you follow other people. Because no matter how hard we try, we're, we're going to disappoint other people. Follow Jesus Christ. Not a man, not a woman. I, I was at the Atlanta airport one time getting ready to fly out, and I had actually gotten upgraded. One of the things, I've got 2 million miles or so on Delta, and so occasionally I get upgraded, which is a glorious thing. And, and I, I love it. And the, I heard my name paged, and I came up, and they said, we've switched aircraft, and so you're not going to be upgraded. And pretty much everything was full. And I, I hate to tell you, Mr. Tuttle, but we're going to have to, I, I know you're like diamond medallion and all that stuff, but, but we're going to have to put you in a middle seat today. Okay, me in a middle seat means three people are now unhappy. Okay? And I said, well, I'm, I, you didn't make this decision. I understand. Thank, thank you. Delta has always got me back home safely. That's the main thing. Thank you so much. And the lady goes, oh, thank you for being so kind. Thank you for responding that way. And I said, well, there's nothing we can do about it, so it's fine. It's not sure not your fault. She goes, no, 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 no. Listen to me. Thank you for being so, just so pleasant about this. This is, and I go, you're welcome. And, and then, so like later on, she paged me back up, and I thought, somebody no-showed. And she goes, okay, here's your actual seat assignment. Here's your boarding pass. And she goes, thank you again for being so gracious. I go, do people like yell at you on a daily basis? I mean, I mean, your, your like over-the-top response is, I mean, what, how do you usually get treated? And she goes, oh, that's part of it. And then she dropped this little gem. She said, um, no, she goes, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I believe in life. And she says, um, I heard you speak a while back at North Point Church. And um, I just, I'm just like, what you were saying made a lot of sense. And I recognized you today. And sure enough, the, the name matched. And she goes, just thank you for not being a jerk and for being who you claim to be. And I went back and I sat down and I'm like, and after a while, there was no more line there. And, I, and I, I think this prompting was from God. I just walked back up and I said, hey, I said, I said, number one, I just want to encourage you. And I go, keep, keep looking, keep looking for truth. And, and North Point is a great place to do that. But I said, second thing, I said, I'm glad you caught me on a good day. And, and, and I'm glad that you were encouraged that I responded correctly. But I said, sometimes I don't. I go, this is actually the start of a trip. If this is like coming home from India and I've been gone two weeks and, you know, and I'm exhausted, I, I go, my response is a really dumb reason for you to choose heaven or hell. Because it's about Jesus Christ, not about me. And you know what she said? She said, thank you for being so nice. And that's like, 
Moses has got some work left to do on Mount Nebo. God has told him much earlier he's not going to enter the land, and so this is not a shock to him. But still, just seeing the land, how do you not get overwhelmed by that disappointment? Back in Numbers, after God told him this, you know, you know what God, you know what Moses did? He like wrote this song of praise to God. I don't think that would have been my response. But that's the kind of thing that makes Moses a leader worth following. A few things quickly. Moses appoints Joshua as his successor. Michael Hyatt writes great books on business, great leadership consultant, said this, there's no success without succession. There's no success without succession. If you finish everything you were hoping to do in your lifetime, then, then your plans were way too small. There's no success without succession. That's true organization. That's also true in families. That's true in relationships. Grandma, who paid the way for the whole group to gather this week, eventually grandma's not going to be there. And you ought to look slow and go, who's got the clout in the next generation? Who's got some financial resources? Who's got the guts to go, we're going. And the time to decide whether to come back to Mount Hermon is not, you know, four months from now, it's while you're here and you're going, this place is awesome and the weather is perfect and it will be perfect. It will not be 102 like it was last week. God will spoil us and give us another good week. Maybe. I never noticed this before, but as I read through, I read Exodus through Deuteronomy probably five, maybe six, seven, eight times. I can't believe how many times Joshua just happens to be there. He's watching. He's observing. He's referred to as Moses' assistant. This isn't a random thing. This has been planned. Number two, Moses is celebrated as a great leader. Look what it says. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord set him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. His life is celebrated. He's appropriately honored. Number three, Moses is honored as a person of faith, not just that time by his contemporaries. But you know Hebrews 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. All these heroes of the faith are celebrated. I'm not going to read all of it to you. It takes up several slides. But when you read through Hebrews 11, a bunch of men and women, they just barely get mentioned. Moses gets several paragraphs. He's honored by God as a, as a person of faith. Number four, Moses is allowed to participate in Jesus' transfiguration. This is crazy stuff. This is New Testament. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he, he takes them up on top of a mountain. He goes up there, and he's, he's there to pray. In verse 29, as he was praying, his appearance changed, the appearance of his face, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, who? Moses and Elijah. Kurt was talking last session. Elijah is like the prophet of prophets, right? Moses represents the law. They flank Jesus, and most of the time when you saw Jesus on this earth, he, Philippians says he humbled himself, he emptied himself, he gave away 
the, the privileges that were his as being God, the creator of everything. When he walked from Jericho to Jerusalem, I think he got tired. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% human. If he had new sandals, he probably got blisters. I mean, I mean, when he's growing up with his earthly father, Joseph, it's, it's not like his Joseph goes, measure twice, cut once, measure once, tw- cut twice. And Jesus is like, oh, man, I'm, I'm like 40 meters away, and that's 9 and 3 sixteenths. I can tell that. And by the way, Dad, there's a knot in that. You can't see it, but be careful when you saw it because it's going to kick back on you. Because I, I, I spoke that tree into existence. That's, that's not how Jesus rolled. He grew in favor with God and men. He's not playing hide-and-seek with his half-brothers. He's like, oh, please, James, get serious. <laughs> that bush, I created that bush. 88, 90, 91, 92. No, he forfeits the use of his attributes. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant the first time. But this day, he gives them a sneak preview of what it's going to look like when he comes next time. He's radiant. He's powerful. And there's Moses and Elijah. Why those? Because Elijah, he's the Jesus is the fulfillment of every single prophecy of Elijah and all the others of them. And the law mostly came through Moses. Jesus was the only one who fulfilled, not just kept all the law, but fulfilled all that was written in it. Stays there. After a while, those guys are gone. I, I, love, I love what Simon Peter says, having just done that series on, on chisels a couple of years ago. I, I, I love what he says. Where are we now? Let's get to that verse. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but then they became fully awake, saw his glory, two men standing with them. Verse 33, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. I think Jesus had more of a sense of humor than we give him credit for. I do. Why do you think the common people loved him? Why do you think sometimes his, his biting sarcasm at the religious leaders? The common people loved that. The children had to be held back because they wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. I think he had a great sense of humor. I, I, you know, I wonder, did Jesus ever roll his eyes? If he did, this is a good chance right here. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Thank you, Captain Obvious doesn't really say that because he's better than you and me. I, I could build three tents, three shelters, because that sun is burning us up. And then we can stay here longer and just, just hang out together. I'll talk to Mike. Maybe, maybe he'll give us late checkout. We could just stay here a little and not have to drive down the hill and back into the chaos of my real life. Just one just one more day at Mount Hermon. Please, God. While Peter is still talking, <laughs> it's like God says, you want shade? Don't build a shelter. And God brings a huge cloud over. Shade. Thanks, Peter. I got this one. And the voice of heaven says, listen to my son. Listen to me. I tell you, listen to my son. 
In other words, Peter, shut up. Shut up. I love your heart. I I love that you're the one who gets out of the boat. You're the first one to speak up. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I I love all that. Just just this time be quiet and, and listen to my son. Maybe the coolest part of Moses' legacy, one of the times the people rebelled, God sent snakes, venomous snakes. And, they're, and they're, they're biting the people, and people are becoming sick and even dying. This is severe discipline. And what does God tell Moses to do? Take a snake, hold it up on a pole, and if the people will look at the snake, what will happen? They'll be healed. Their sins will be forgiven. Now, there's nothing about looking at a snake that brings forgiveness. This is what I was trying to make so clear the other day. It's not about the act. It's about the faith in God's willingness and ability to forgive sin. And however he asks us to express that, whether that's blood on the doorpost of the house or or looking to the serpent, it's that expression of faith. We're saved by grace through faith from Genesis through Revelation. Never been about works. This time, Look how God God makes use of this. Jesus is talking to the first Irishman in the Bible. Remember Nick Odemus? Um, This is before patio furniture or Oreo cookie. This is Nick Odemus. And Nick Odemus is a rabbi, and he's come to Jesus, and he says, how can I have eternal life? How can I be good enough? And Jesus says, you need to reenter. You need to be born again a second time. And Nicodemus goes, like, re-enter my mother's womb? I heard it was a rough delivery the first time. You know, I weighed nine pounds, three ounces. She's still whining about it. It's not in there. I'm making this up. He goes, how is that possible? And he goes, no, not born again this time physically, but spiritually. Spiritually. And then look at in this conversation. what's, What's the most famous verse in all the Bible? John 3.16. Do you ever look what comes two verses before it? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Moses, imagine that. Talk about legacy. Used to illustrate the salvation that's coming. And that time, not long later, within a year, for us, centuries ago, but it's still what history is all about. And Moses gets remembered as part of that. Our last summary statement is this. Freedom will be fully experienced when God finishes his work in us. Not before. Not before. We don't see the ultimate expression of that until eternity. When we don't see through blurry lenses anymore, we see clearly because we're seeing face to face. And we're finally seeing like Jesus. But the process of freedom that he's taking us through delivering us from those addictions, restoring those relationships, helping us deal with our doubt like we talked about in the last session. All of those things 
are part of the long, long, long journey. And even for a guy like Moses, it doesn't get completed until the end. In fact, in his case, the end isn't even the end because he dies just looking over and seeing the promised land but not getting to enter it. Or did he? Because where did that transfiguration take place? In the promised land. So those things that we long for the most, some of those things will still be the ache in our heart, even on our deathbed. But God always finishes what he starts. I love Philippians 1.6. It's on the screen. Will you read this out loud with me? Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now will you, will you read it like you actually believe that? I mean like with a little passion and energy because that was like, being confident of this very thing. Okay, let's, let's don't make me hit the rock, okay? Um, here we go. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Father, thank you that you always finish what you start. And despite all the times that we disappoint you, despite all the times that we say your provision isn't enough or we want to do it but we want to solve the problem our way, despite all the ways that we sincerely make promises so often we fail to follow through on those. In spite of that, God, thank you that you don't write us off as a bad investment. You don't decide to cut your losses and put your spirit in somebody else. Lord, you keep those that you've drawn to yourself. Father, thank you for the refreshment of this week when we go down from the mountain. May we take these lessons with us. May we be committed to become men and women who are like Moses. Not perfect. Not perfect. But deep in faith. In the awesome name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. Phil love you. Good friend. And um, you are not a jerk. You're a nice man. Thank you for being so nice. I mean, genuinely. Um, thank you for the passion you brought, your humor of God's word. And you have not skirted from any hard questions or hard things. You've, you've forced us to deal with some really big things. And, um, and I'm grateful myself. I know we all are. Um, and I, I want to tell you my favorite moment of this week was Tuesday, when uh, Dr. Kim led the hymn, How Great Thou Art, and, um, which was a favor that Dave allowed for me because he is our daughter's uh, professor at Moody Bible Institute and uh, her choir director and all that. And, and then you came up and just shared something that wasn't planned from your heart about your upbringing that was so powerful, made me wipe tears away. And uh, that's just who you are. You're just so... Anyway, can we thank uh, Phil for his ministry to us this week? So grateful. Thanks, Thanks. And uh, let's be, 
remembering to pray for, for him as he leads this uh, international ministry. I mean, to have a ministry that's 130 countries, the, the impact is massive. Also, I want to thank Brian Guthrie for, uh, for his week with us leading in, in worship. Yeah, you can give him a thanks.